Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today's topic is all about micronutrients, so micros for midlife. And we're going to be highlighting the different categories of micronutrients, particularly those that are important for a midlife woman. So we're going to be talking about vitamins and minerals and the potential health concerns that you might have in midlife and how optimizing your micronutrient status is really going to be supportive. So we hope you find the topic interesting and enjoyable and most of all helpful. Welcome to the Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner mini-series. Please join Aileen Smith and Karen Campbell, nutritionist friends and runners. During the mini-series, we'll be spotlighting key challenges women face as they approach midlife. Women tell us that they're really uncomfortable with the way their body shape is changing and are noticing how their energy levels and running performance is suffering too. So it's our mission to help women be in great shape, bypass midlife health challenges and continue to enjoy their running. So we've designed our Healthy Woman Healthy Runner method and that's for the woman who requires the most time efficient and easy method to be the best she can be. During each mini episode we'll be helping you take some easy action. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Aileen and Karen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back everyone. I'm Karen and I'm here today as always with Aileen. Now today we're going to give you a snapshot of micros for midlife. And when I say micros, I'm referring to the micronutrients. And I think as runners, we tend to pay attention to our macronutrients, so the proteins, the carbohydrates and fat. So we thought today we'd spotlight the role of the micronutrients, especially in our midlife phase. So we're going to talk about the different categories of micronutrients and um and, and taking a look at vitamins. Then we'll talk about the importance of minerals from um, your food plan and the potential health concerns you could have in midlife, which may be affected by mineral deficiency. And then finally, we'll have a spotlight on iron deficiency and what you can do about that. So lots to get through. So please do listen until the end um, of this episode because we do have a special invitation for for you. So, hi Aileen, lovely to have you here again. And just sort of diving straight into this, um, could you maybe say how you would describe micronutrients and what are the different categories of micronutrients that we can get? 
Hi, Karen, and hi, everyone. Um, yeah, well, as you said, micronutrients, uh, as the, the name suggests, are small nutrients, and um, they are vitamins and minerals, but within the vitamin and mineral um, family, they fall into different categories. So vitamins and minerals are required by every cell of the body to function optimally. Um, we get essential vitamins and minerals from our foods, but the body can also make some vitamins. So, for example, uh, vitamin D is produced when the skin's exposed to sunlight. Uh, vitamin B3, which is known as niacin, can be made from the amino acid tryptophan. And vitamin K and B7 uh, can be made by gut bacteria. But really, we've got to think of getting the majority of our vitamins from food sources. And they, they do... Um, Vitamins and minerals do um, differ in, in some basic ways. So vitamins are organic, and that means that they can be broken down by heat, air, or acid. So there is a, a bit of a risk that uh, the way we treat our food, so cooking, storing, and um, exposure to air, could inactivate or reduce the bioavailability of some of the vitamins in our food. So the Opposite of that, are minerals, they're inorganic. So they hold onto their chemical structure so they don't get broken down in the same sort of way as vitamins do. Um, and minerals um, come from soil and water and they, they easily find our way into our body through the plants, the fish, the animals and the fluids that we consume. Um, but there is a bit of a concern um, in today's world that the mineral content of food might not be optimal in comparison to ages gone by. Um, and that's uh, due to the poor quality soil that we have and modern farming methods. So, you know, there's a thought that we can be eating food, but maybe the nutrient value isn't as high as it might have been decades ago. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Ailey, moving on, what could you tell us about vitamins specifically? Well, again, the vitamins, uh, they break down into two categories. So there's the water-soluble vitamins and fat-soluble vitamins. So there are nine water-soluble vitamins, and they include vitamin C and the full range of B vitamins. I'm sure people have heard of, you know, the, there's, you know, B1 up to B12 range of vitamins. And um these water-soluble vitamins are, are not stored in the body. Um, if we uh, consume foods with these vitamins, any leftover or excess amounts of the vitamins leave the body via urine. Um, and so it's really important that we uh, consume optimal amounts of these vitamins on a regular basis for all of our uh, bodily functions but also to prevent shortages or deficiencies in the body. There is one exception, uh, which is vitamin B12, which can be stored in the liver. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So, so how do water-soluble vitamins work then? Well, the, these vitamins are stored in the watery parts of food. Um, so that's, I suppose, why you, know, you get a lot of them in um, fruits and vegetables. Um, and they're absorbed directly into the bloodstream when food is broken down during the digestive process or um, if you take it as a supplement when, when the supplement dissolves. And because our bodies consist uh, of a lot of water, uh, the water-soluble vitamins can easily circulate around the body and the kidneys uh, continuously regulate the levels of water-soluble vitamins and, and the kidneys will, um, you know, 
signal when we need to remove excess amount um, out of the body through our urine. Yeah, and like you said earlier, alien water soluble vitamins and all vitamins and minerals have lots of different tasks in the in the body and they're also really important um for runners as well so thinking about runners uh, specifically the b vitamins um, help release energy from food and um, are involved in energy production which clearly we need as runners uh, vitamin b6 b12 and folic acid metabolize amino acids so those building blocks of proteins and um, are therefore helping to build proteins and cells that therefore um, supporting muscle development as well. And one of the many roles played by vitamin C is to help make collagen and collagen knits together uh, wounds, supports blood vessel walls, and is also an important part of that um, bone matrix. So as you can see, all really important for us as runners. Now, a varied diet of many different fruits and vegetables will supply vitamin C with B vitamins mainly coming from the likes of grains, from meat and poultry, eggs and dairy, but also green leafy vegetables and nutritional yeast. So as long as you've got a varied diet, you'll be getting exposure to these wonderful um, uh, water-soluble vitamins. So Aileen, moving on from that, what can you tell us about the fat-soluble vitamins? Okay, so the fat, there are four fat-soluble vitamins, so A, D, E and K. And um, the fat-soluble vitamins gain entry to the blood via the lymph channels in the, in the intestinal wall. And, and they will often travel through the body, escorted by proteins that act as carriers. Now, the fat-soluble vitamins can be stored in the body, in, in the liver and in the fat cells. Um, and when we um, eat foods containing these vitamins, they're more easily absorbed in the presence of dietary fat. Um, and, you know, they, again, do lots of marvelous things uh, to help our health. Um, but together, they'll help keep our eyes, skin, lungs and gastrointestinal tract, as well as our nervous system in, in good uh, health and good repair. Um, vitamins A, D and K are really important for bone health. Uh, vitamin E is a really important antioxidant, and it also helps with the absorption and storage of, of vitamin A. And so you'll get fat-soluble foods in sort of foods that are naturally fatty, so things like oily fish, eggs, liver, and, and, and also dairy foods. And also um, the orange family of vegetables contain beta carotene. So I'm thinking things like sweet potato and carrots and uh, the orange uh, melons and that type of thing, yellow peppers. Um, and these vegetables, uh, which contain beta carotene, um, can be converted uh, by the body into vitamin A. Um, so they're a really good source to include. And vitamin D, you'll you'll get that in things like sunflower seeds and oil, in almonds, hazelnuts and peanuts, uh, spinach and broccoli and kiwi fruit and mango. So again, you know, a wide variety of foods will provide a wide variety of, of vitamins. Yeah, thanks for that, Aileen. I think that's a really good overview of the water-soluble and fat-soluble vitamins and where you can find them and how they support our health and well-being. So what about minerals? What do what do they do for us, Aileen? 
So thinking about minerals, you can categorize them again into major or macro minerals and micro or trace minerals. So they're a little bit like um, like the um, you know macro and micronutrients, really. Uh, but in this case, we're thinking about the minerals. Um, so the body needs and stores fairly large amounts of the macro minerals. Uh, but both the macro and the micro minerals are equally important. It's just that the macro minerals are present in greater amounts in our bodies. Um, so the macro minerals are, are, are really what well, household names, I would say. So things like calcium, magnesium, potassium, phosphorus, sodium, sulfur and chloride. Maybe people don't think about those as much. Um, so sodium chloride and potassium are really vital in maintaining water balance in the body. Calcium, magnesium and phosphorus are crucial for bone health. And sulfur helps stabilize protein structures. So for example, in the hair, the skin and the nails. So there's, you know, the the big important minerals and, and we we definitely need them in the right amount um so thinking about the the trace minerals the things that you know we don't have as much of but are still vital Karen could you run us through a few of those yeah sure Aileen and like you said the the trace minerals are found in tiny amounts um in many different foods and we just need tiny amounts of them but they are vital contributors to lots of different bodily functions. Um, I'll, I'm going to mention some of them, but there are so many more and they all perform equally vital jobs. But I'm just going to pull out again ones that are maybe more household names, as you as you said, Aileen. So the ones I'll, I'm going to mention are iron, copper, zinc, iodine and selenium and manganese. Now, Iron really is the best known of of these um, sort of trace minerals and um, is really best known for ferrying oxygen throughout the body. And that's really vital for energy production. Copper assists with iron metabolism. So um, iron needs copper and the creation of hemoglobin as well, which carries the oxygen um, around the body within the blood. Now, zinc is really important for helping um, blood clot. Um, It's also essential for taste and smell and and supports the immune system. And then thinking about iodine and selenium jointly, they are really vital for um, thyroid function. And manganese contributes to... um, the metabolism of amino acids as well as cholesterol, um, carbohydrates and glucose. So again, manganese maybe isn't quite such a household name, um, but, but clearly is really important for um, for a runner for all these reasons. Um, it is. It also does play a role in bone formation, blood clotting and reducing inflammation. So really important for a runner. So trace minerals really interact with one another, sometimes in ways that that can trigger imbalances. So, for example, too much of one could potentially um, cause or contribute to an insufficiency or deficiency of another. So it is very much about, about getting the balance of them. Yeah, and I think the difference between just enough and too much of the trace minerals is often tiny. So generally, food is a safe source of trace minerals. But if you take supplements, it's really important to ensure that you're not exceeding 
safe levels. And, and often, you know, when you purchase a supplement, um, there will be trace minerals added to the sort of the major supplements, uh, the major nutrients in the in the uh, complex. And that's to help you um, metabolize and absorb them correctly. But if you're taking a lot of supplements, sometimes it's a good idea to add up what all these different little trace elements are so that you, you're not um, taking too much. So, so in, in summary, uh, what we're saying is we do have a high requirement for a wide range of vitamins and minerals, particularly um, at this midlife stage of life. Um, so it's really important to have a nutrient-dense food plan and to consider uh, if, if you need supplements that you take them under the supervision of um, a nutritionist. And um, I just wanted to also mention that um, we'll be um, doing some healthy women, healthy runner training soon. It's something that we do periodically uh, and we'll give you details at the end of the episode. And, um, you know, th there are some uh, vitamins and minerals that we can be at risk of um, sort of being depleted in at this particular stage of life. And one of them is related to the depletion of BC and magnesium, which is related to chronic stress, which some of us experience at this mid-stage of life. So we'll um, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Um, so could we move on now, Karen, and talk about the, um, the potential yeah. uh, health risks that midlife women may, may be yeah. affecting? Absolutely. So, you know, as midlife women, um, there is the potential for health concerns and vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Um, and I'm just thinking about that. Which vitamin and mineral deficiencies should we be aware of, Aileen? Should we be thinking about at this time of our life? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think at any stage of life, we've got to consider um, how we get our optimal nutrition to support our life stage. But also we've got to be aware of what's going on in our lifestyle, which could be contributing to depletion or specific nutrients. Um, or that it might just be that we've got a requirement for uh, a higher requirement for nutrients at, at this particular time. So the, the things that spring to mind for us as midlife women, for women in the peri and menopausal phase of life, um, are iron deficiency, uh, bone health, stress, which I've just mentioned. Um, so thinking about um, iron deficiency, when we're in this sort of um, perimenopausal period of, of life, our periods become erratic and sometimes women experience excessively heavy blood loss, which can lead to anemia and, and symptoms of fatigue, low energy and shortness of breath. So that is a, an area that I think people really need to be uh, concerned about. And that's why we're going to talk about that in a little bit more depth later on. Um, We've also got to think about bone health. I know we talk about bone health a lot in our episodes. Um, and it might not be the thing that's top of mind when you're in the perimenopause or the menopause transition, um, because you're probably just thinking about how do I get rid of these hot flushes? You know, you're not thinking about what might happen to you in the next five or 10 years time. But as we've discussed in previous episodes, this is really a vital time to ensure, ensure that you're supporting bone mineral density. So, uh, thinking about are you taking on optimal amounts of calcium, magnesium, vitamin D and the 
various trace minerals because they're really key to maintaining good bone health and maintaining that bone mineral density. And I mentioned stress earlier on. So being in midlife comes along with a lot of responsibilities. Uh, You know, often women have got responsibilities at either end of the age range. So, you know, you're managing family, children, elderly parents, and you're doing that alongside probably busy jobs, managing a home, and that can put you into a a position of chronic stress. And as I mentioned earlier, that can lead to a, a sort of depletion of some key vitamins, particularly B, C and magnesium. And and when the body prioritizes uh, these nutrients for managing stress um, to power um, the the stress cycle, there's less of these nutrients to go around for other things like energy production. So you can see how there's like a little bit of a web going on um, when uh, when we're thinking about our nutrient requirements. is, Is there anything else, Karen, that's popping into your mind? Yes, Aileen, again, can be linked to this, um, can be linked to stress, can be linked to this feeling of low energy. And I'm thinking about um, the effects related to our thyroid. Now, hypothyroidism, hypothyroidism is a condition which affects up to 5% of the general population, with a further estimated 5% being undiagnosed. So it's quite a high number, I think. And worldwide, um, environmental iodine deficiency is the most common cause of all thyroid disorders, including hypothyroidism. And researchers believe really we're not getting enough iodine from our food um, because of this of this deficiency um, in the soil. You can also get it from, from um, seafood as well. Um, and iodine and selenium really are vital. Both of these are vital for thyroid hormone production, but we're not getting it through our food because the soils are low in them. So that would really just be the other area that I would add to what you've spoken about already, Aileen. So so really to round up um, on today's episode and um, what we've spoken about, I think it might be good to, like you say, have that brief overview on iron deficiency because it it is quite common and, and really what we can do about it. So you know, low iron status could potentially lead to the onset of iron deficiency anemia, which is known then to lead to reduced production of red blood cells. So reduced transport of oxygen for consumption during exercise. So if you're really finding that you're getting tired or your your um your um stamina isn't the same as it used to be it would be worth just checking what your iron levels are now there are signs that you can look out for which might indicate an iron deficiency or an iron insufficiency even so if you're noticing that you've got recurring colds or infections um and or maybe you're constantly feeling tired or you've noticed that your running speed or distance is dropping or that your recovery is um, much slower, then that might be an indicator that um, 
that your iron levels are are diminished. So it might be worthwhile having your iron levels tested to determine if this is the cause or not. It might be something else. So it might be some of the vitamins and minerals you were speaking about, alien linked to stress. So the B vitamin C, vitamin C and magnesium, because they're all involved in energy production as well. So but definitely worth having iron levels tested. Yeah, and I think, you know, women have got a tendency to push through tiredness. We just sort of think, oh, I'm tired, but got no choice, just got to keep going. And, you know, I remember putting up uh, with extremely heavy periods for way too long um, until it really became unbearable. And when I saw my doctor, um, part of the examination that she did was to test my iron. And, and I discovered that I was borderline um, needing a, a blood transfusion, which was a bit of a shock, Gosh. really, because I really, that wasn't what I was expecting the doctor to tell me. Um, and she said she was surprised I could walk, never mind run. Um, so it was a bit, uh, it was a bit shocking. And it was something that I'd never really uh, considered. And this is like before I was a nutritionist. So um, that, was, that was probably why. Um, but my advice really is to be aware of how your iron status uh, might be affected by your menstrual cycle and get it tested regularly um, because you might find that that's an underlying reason. And I remember also I was I was going to the gym quite a lot in, in that time and sometimes I'd, I'd just feel a bit lightheaded in the gym and, you know, I'd have conversations with the trainer there about why it might be and and it never crossed my mind that it was my iron levels. And as soon as I got it sorted out, everything was much better. So, um, I, yeah, it's definite, um, what was a wake up call for me. And I think it's good advice for everybody. And once you know your iron status, the results from the test will guide you on whether uh, supplements are required. And it's always advisable to seek professional advice from a nutritionist on what therapeutic supplemental dose you require um, and we talked about this a lot on episode 25 which is called iron woman um, uh, there was a lot of uh, good information there so if it's something you're concerned about i'd suggest that you go back and listen to that yeah, definitely. And we, we did speak about the national guidelines for iron status in that episode. But just to um, to refresh everybody's memories, um, it is, you know, it is actually about double the intake for women than men or certainly women um, who are still in childbearing years. So, for example, men, for men, it's 8.7 milligrams per day. For women, it's 14.8 milligrams per day. So it is almost double. Um, whereas women over 50 years of age, so and that's generally seen as when the menopause occurs. It, for women, it goes back down to 8.7 milligrams per day. So the same as men. Um, and again, the requirements for pregnant women increases significantly significantly again to approximately 27 milligrams per day so that both you and the the fetus uh, um, are getting enough um, iron so the increased requirements um, for women are clearly due to that menstruation um, 
uh, cycle resulting in that significant blood loss each month. And women with very heavy or frequent menstrual blood loss would potentially need to be even more vigilant regarding their iron status because it might mean that 14.8 milligrams per day is just not enough. Um, And the higher amounts in women during pregnancy, um, like I say, are because, you know, the fetus is growing at, at a rapid rate. So it's requiring extra blood circulation. So you need enough for that growth, but also for yourself too. And the daily iron intake for women over that age of 50 like I say, decreases to the same recommendation as for men, again, due to, and it is a bit of an assumption that menstrual um, menstruation has stopped with menopause because, as we know, women go through uh, menopause at, at different ages. So it is a bit of an assumption for some women it might be later, for others it might be earlier. Um um, and for all ladies out there um, who have teenage children, I think it is worth notice, noting that adolescent boys require 11 milligrams per day of iron and girls need 15 milligrams per day. So, again, the girls needing more than the boys. And it is really important to test iron status before supplementing with um, iron supplements because if you if you um, take on too much iron, it can be toxic to the body. So, Aileen, could you maybe give us a few nutrition uh, tips about iron before we finish? Yeah, sure. And again, we go into much more depth uh, on episode 25 about that. But I would say the main points are um, if you eat um, a meat-based diet, um, then you know, choose to have red meat approximately three times a week. That would be the easiest way of maintaining a good iron status. Um, If you're following a plant-based diet, um, remember that plant-based foods do contain non-heme iron, which isn't as easily absorbed by the digestive system as the heme iron from animal food sources. So you need to take that into account. And uh, that might be another good reason to test and supplement um, when we we're talking about absorption of iron um, apparently we absorb between 15 and 30 percent of iron from meat so that's the heme iron and between three to 20 percent of plant-based iron the non-heme iron so um, it's it's not high quantity so we've got to really again uh, factor that into our overall iron requirements. So one of the things that we've got to bear in mind is how we make the iron from our food as bioavailable as possible. And uh, that you can do that by minimizing some of the inhibitors that um, prevent us uh, absorbing the iron uh, effectively. So there are some foods that will help promote us, promote absorption of iron, some foods that inhibit absorption of iron. So the promoting uh, foods are uh, foods that are high in vitamin C. So uh, the recommendation is if you um, eat foods high in vitamin C alongside iron-rich foods, that will encourage absorption of iron. So having things like broccoli, red pepper, and citrus fruits would be really, really helpful. So think about having them alongside the the iron-rich foods that you're having. 
Mm, I think that's really good advice. So you've spoken, Aileen, about um, foods that can promote the absorption of um, iron. How about these sort of um, anti-nutrients, so these ones that inhibit um, iron absorption? How can we minimise these? Yeah, well, the advice that we can give you is to avoid eating calcium-rich foods alongside them and also beverages which contain tannins. Um, so um, things like, um, you know, having a cup of tea or coffee which are rich in tannins alongside your iron-rich food or supplement is really going to practically cancel out the benefit that you're going to get. So it's best to um, have them separately. Um, and also um, there are certain foods, but this is particularly relevant to people following a plant-based diet. Um, so foods such as grains, nuts and seeds include things called phytates and phytates can have this inhibitory action. So the way that you can get around that is by soaking these foods and then rinsing them before you eat them, or um, you can sprout them as well, and that can help remove the anti-nutrients. So you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm going to have soggy nuts and seeds. Well, they, what you do after you've done the soaking is that you then would uh, dehydrate them, and we give a few suggestions on how you can do this in episode 25. And if you haven't got time to listen to that episode We'll, we will have a blog on that topic as well. So if you go to our, the blog section of our website at runnershealthhub.com, you'll be able to find it there. So, so there are lots of things you can do to promote the uh, bioavailability of the iron from your food plan and, and also from your supplements. Great. Thanks, Aileen. I think you've given us lots to think about today, linked to um, iron, but also linked to all the, the vitamins and minerals. So before we, we close for today, what would be your suggestion of just one key action that everybody could take away with them from today's episode? Well, I think the one thing that I would really suggest is get your iron status tested. And, you know, you can either do that by going to your GP or your doctor and asking uh, if you can be tested um, or if you would like a, a quicker, simpler solution, uh, drop us an email and we'll give you a suggestion about a home test kit. Um, and then you'll know for sure where you are with your iron status. Uh, so email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'll send over our suggestion of uh, what test kit you can use. So, yeah, an easy thing to do, but it's going to really open up uh, your knowledge about where you are and what you need to do going forward about your iron status. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree with that. So everybody um, out there, if you've got any sort of uh, any of the symptoms that we have been describing, then um, consider having your iron status tested. OK, so we hope you've all really enjoyed listening today. And remember, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Thank you so much for joining us today and we really hope that you found our insights useful. We've got a question for you. Would you like to know how to put our advice into practice and how to take some easy actions? If your answer is yes, then please don't miss the opportunity to sign up for our next free online training session. It's going to be on Zoom and we'll be there to share more steps in the Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner method with you. 
and most important of all, we'll be there in person, so we'll be able to answer any of your questions on the spot during the training. Karen and I absolutely love podcasting, but we love interacting with you even more, so we can't wait to meet you in our Zoom room. If you'd like to register, it's very easy. All you need to do is look out at the episode show notes, look at the top of the page and click the booking link there, and we'll send all the details to you. So if you'd like to be a healthy woman, healthy runner for many years to come, please come and join us and don't miss out on our next free training. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as Best Leggings for Running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.